Let me read as a key text. It will not be the only basis for our message, but it will be, as it were, the heart of it. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen as his heritage. Psalm 33, verse 12. People of God, there are two facts that I can say with certainty about everyone who is here this afternoon. And the first one is that all of us here are human beings, fellow members of the human race, with each of us created in the image of God. And the second fact is that we are all citizens of a particular country. We all belong to a certain nation in which we live and where God has given us a name and a place. For the vast majority of us here, that nation or that country is the United States of America, whose founding we commemorate tomorrow. But I know at least one family that is here who are citizens of another country. Brother London and his family, citizens of Canada. Maybe there's someone here from still another country, like the Netherlands. A few of you might be citizens of more than one country. But that's also true of every one of us. We are all citizens of a particular nation. And then I should add, there is still a third key relationship that we share, though I cannot be 100% sure if this is true for every one of us who is here. But I certainly hope and pray it is, because this is the most important of all, and that is that we are fellow Christians, Christians who truly believe in our Lord Jesus Christ, making us citizens of the kingdom of God and members of his people, the church. Now, this afternoon, I thought I would focus a little while on that second fact that I mentioned, namely that we are all citizens of a certain earthly country. And more specifically then, I would like to consider how that fact relates more specifically to that third relationship I just mentioned. At the same time, we are also God's people, considering then the theme, the Christian and his country. How should we as Christians regard the country that we belong to? Our country in this case, or another country as well, the United States of America or some other land. What should be our attitude towards our nation? What should be our responsibilities as part of a nation? What does God in his holy word say about that dual relationship that we have to God and to our country? And it's important to know the answer to those questions and be able to answer them from a biblical perspective. Because I doubt that anyone here would dispute that our country or our nation plays a very key role in our daily lives. It impacts us greatly in many ways. And whether we like it or not, What happens in our country or to our country bears a great influence, not only on our lives, but also on our faith as well. For example, the economic conditions that prevail in our country affect us in terms of our work, in terms of our material well-being. But in addition, politically speaking, we have to live every single day again under our country's laws, which control all kinds of things that we do in our lives, 
or cannot do. We must pay our taxes to our government. We receive support from our government through Social Security or Medicare or college aid and many other programs. And even more significantly, we are deeply affected, of course, by the moral and the spiritual condition of our nation. Yes, we cannot pretend that our nation does not play a great role in our lives. And God, of course, is well aware of that. And he's not sound about that fact in his word. Indeed, he wants us to have a proper relationship to the country as citizens of it and as his people. For this reason, let me set forth this afternoon four basic truths are in the outline below the sermon uh, in the liturgy tonight that should guide us in regard to how we must regard the country where God has placed us. And now the first principle is this. As Christians, we must appreciate whatever is good in our country. Indeed, we have to thank God for all the blessings that he has given to us in this nation to which we belong. And why is that? Simply because these good things are an evidence of the mercy and the grace of God. Psalm 33, which we just read, speaks of God's blessing on a nation. It states in verse 12, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen as his heritage. And let me indeed add right away, I realize well well, that this divine blessing is ascribed here to a certain kind of nation, to a nation, namely, whose God is the Lord. And the name Lord is capitalized, as you see in your Bibles, meaning it really is a reference to God's covenant name, Yahweh, Jehovah, the only true and living God. In the Old Testament age, that nation whose God was the Lord was Israel, of course, the people whom he has chosen as his special heritage, as the text says. And that's an important fact, which we will come back to later on. But that does not mean that God's blessing does not rest in any sense on any other nation, which also honors him as Lord. Or maybe I could approach it also in this way. God could also have chosen, if he wanted to, some other nation, some other people besides Israel, to be his special heritage. God did not choose Israel, in other words, because they were more worthy than any other nation on earth. The point of this verse is most fundamentally that God's blessing rests on a nation, on a people, because of his grace. And that they must respond to him then as a Christian nation or as a godly nation by honoring and glorifying his name. But even so, the gracious blessing of the Lord is surely given to us as his people living in this nation. And we must acknowledge it with thankful hearts and lives. Yes, indeed, let me cite a few of these blessings for you. You know them, I'm sure, as well. We're privileged to live, my dear friends, in one of the richest, most prosperous countries on earth, a land of enormous wealth and great beauty, which, by the way, man has not put there, but which comes only from the hand of our almighty God. And we sing of it in that patriotic song, America the Beautiful, for example, which says, O beautiful for spacious skies, for amber waves of grain, for purple mountain majesties above the fruited plain. And then that refrain, 
gives the credit where it is due. America, America, God shed his grace on thee. Yes, indeed, the abundance and the beauty of our forests and our plains and our mountains and our lakes and our rivers and the richness of our soil and the subterranean mineral deposits that you find in the soil, in the land, all of these things are surely the gracious gift of God. That's the reason for our prosperity. Yes, even though Americans have done a great deal to produce and to build and to manufacture and to make this country into the awesome economic power that it has become, it could never have been done without the resource that God, first of all, has given. I often think, when I think about our nation in that regard, of the words of Moses that he spoke in Deuteronomy chapter 8, as the Israelites were about to enter the land of Canaan, after spending, you know, 40 years traveling through the desert. And Moses said to the people about what God was about to give them by his grace. Listen to his words. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land with streams and pools of water, with springs flowing in the valleys and hills, a land with wheat and barley, vines and fig trees, pomegranates, olive oil and honey, a land where bread will not be scarce and you will lack nothing, a land where the rocks are iron and you can dig copper out of the hills. And then listen, then listen to what Moses exhorts the people. He says, when you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws and decrees, which I am giving you today. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, and when your herds and your flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase, and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud, and you will forget the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery." You know, what important words for Americans to hear, for all of us to hear in our land, and in other lands, of course, too. Because we can well apply this biblical description of the land of Canaan to our country. Our too, land too, is a land flowing with abundance, with milk and honey. And for that, we must be humbly grateful to God as Christian citizens who are privileged to dwell in such a country and share in its bounties. And then we must also thank God today for the liberty and the freedoms that we enjoy still as citizens of this nation. That too, remember, is a divine gracious gift. In fact, this is an invaluable blessing. This is one of the main reasons why millions have come to this country out of nations where their freedom was severely restricted or even totally denied them. That's why the pilgrims came originally to the shores in 1620, to be free in their worship of God and in their way of life. And pilgrims from all kinds of other nations have come here ever since. We, we certainly don't have to worry about pe- people keeping people from leaving our country in large numbers. Instead, we have the opposite problem today. We, we have to see how to keep illegal aliens from crossing the borders by the thousands wishing to settle here. 
Because this is a land of opportunity. This is a land of liberty. And you and I must not take that for granted. How grateful we can be that we can worship God according to our beliefs every Sunday again, that we can be instructed here by God, that we can praise God, that we can instruct our children in the truth of God's word, that we can live by the gospel, that we can proclaim the gospel in word and in deed during the week. You know, that's not the case in many countries today. You cannot just go out in the streets in many countries today and simply declare that you are a Christian. You would be kicked out very quickly if you sought to convert anyone by your witness to Christ as the only Savior. So that's another reason we have to be thankful. And another reason I think of is the blessing of peace. An ever so fragile reality in the world today. As we read of what's happening, even at this hour, in other countries, like in the Ukraine, where the Russian troops keep firing their artillery and dropping their bombs, blasting cities so that they become a rubble and thousands of people already have lost their lives. And their land lies there ruined. And the families are forced to abandon their homes and flee to other countries. And the crops of the farmers are is confiscated. And there is no end in sight at this point. And there are other nations as well where there is constant turmoil, constant uncertainty, and where terrorist activity is rampant. In fact, most people today, most people in the world today live under dictatorships, rule them with a heavy hand. But we live here in peace. Oh, indeed, we have our problems as well with violence and murders occurring daily in many places, in many of the cities of our country today, with those who like to break the peace, with those who say we have to banish police. But we can still leave this place of worship here this afternoon and go to our homes and go to our workplaces during this week to live our daily lives in peace. That's a gift from God. And so I could go on this afternoon enumerating other things that are good about our country and our life in it. I think of our free enterprise system, our comfortable standard of living, our many opportunities, and so forth. To be sure, these are not unmixed blessings, I realize, and we'll see that pretty soon. They all carry a danger with them, but they are indeed gifts from God. That's why I want to stress, first of all, that as Christian citizens, we must be thankful to God for whatever is good and righteous about this country, because it is the product of his grace. That leads me to a second principle, which we must remember as as relates to our relationship to our country. And now I come to the other side of the coin, from what I've just mentioned. If it is true that as Christians we must thank God for all that is good in this country, we must also at the same time oppose whatever is evil in this country. And our text from Psalm 32 states, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Psalm 144 verse 15 says similarly, Blessed are the people whose God is the Lord. But that suggests the problem 
That suggested the dilemma that confronts us as Christians today because we belong to a nation which in many ways has rejected the Lord and does not even acknowledge him as God, not even as the creator of the universe. Verses 8 and 9 of Psalm 33 addresses the peoples of all the nations. As it says, let all the earth fear the Lord, let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke and it came to be, he commanded and it stood firm. But how many of our fellow citizens fear the Lord? And again, the name here is Jehovah God, not some general deity but the Lord our God who has made himself known to us in the scriptures. How many of our fellow citizens stand in awe of him as the sovereign creator of all things? The second sentence of the Declaration of Independence says in lofty terms, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, But while the vast majority of Americans would say that it is clear and self-evident that all men are created equal, it is not at all self-evident to millions that God is their creator, the one who made them, and of whom they should stand in awe. Quite the opposite. They're worshiping all kinds of other gods of their own choosing and making. They worship their material wealth They worship their life of pleasure. They worship and serve their own success and their own achievements. That's what they worship. Man, instead of the creator. We live in a nation which enjoys peace. But many don't desire or know anything about the peace. That is true peace. Peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We enjoy liberty, as I said, freedom. But many use their freedoms as a pretext for immoral license and doing whatever they please, right or wrong. We espouse freedom of religion, but many want freedom from religion, any religion, and will not even want to defend the religious freedoms of those with whom they disagree. So how must we view our country? Shortly after the United States gained its independence, a French political philosopher named Alexis de Tocqueville visited this newborn nation to learn what it was that had enabled him to become a great nation, a mighty nation. And he looked for strength and greatness in its harbors and rivers and fertile fields and boundless forests, but he didn't find the key there to America's greatness. He studied our schools, our Congress, our Constitution, without finding the secret of our strength there. It wasn't until he went into the churches of America and heard the pulpits, quote, aflame with righteousness, that he found the answer. And after returning to France, he wrote this, I quote, America is great because America is good. And if America ever ceases to be good, America will cease to be great. Well, that's certainly what the Bible teaches too, doesn't it? It says in Proverbs 14, verse 34, righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a disgrace to any people. 
In fact, such a nation that sins against God and does not know anymore what is good stands under the judgment of God. Not only, not only communist China, not only the Muslim Middle East, not only secularized Europe, but the United States also stands under divine judgment. Because in numerous ways, we have ceased to be good. In fact, we can hardly claim, as I said earlier, that the United States is really even a Christian nation. Well, we have a Judeo-Christian tradition. Our country was strongly influenced in the past by teachings of immorality that came really from the Christian faith and from the Word of God. Our presidents, our early presidents and nation's leaders, and they, they weren't all Christians to be sure. There were those who were deists and, and other things. But many of them openly acknowledged God as the creator and as the one to whom they were accountable and on whom we must depend. But today that foundation is crumbling increasingly. It is not reflected in the lifestyle of the vast majority of Americans. It's mocked in Hollywood and by pop culture. It's ignored, even disdained in our public schools and our secular universities. If Americans you know who died a century or more ago were to rise from the dead tomorrow, what would they think about conditions as they were, they found them in this country today? And you know, I think that sometimes they would not only be amazed, and no doubt at the, at the great external changes that have taken place that have transformed this land and our lifestyle. Imagine them seeing our buildings and, and our cities and boarding airplanes and going into space and all the technological advances of our times. But they would also be shocked, I'm sure, about the internal changes that have taken place in our family life, in the stability of our marriages, in what is shown on television and movie screens and the incredible moral decay evident all around us. They, they would be awestruck or they, they would not be able to imagine people marching in gay parades, and churches performing gay marriages, and they would, they would be shocked that millions of babies are being killed by abortion. We thank God, as I did in my prayer, for our Supreme Court decision recently, uh, overturning the Roe v. Wade decision of the past, declaring that abortion is not a right that is guaranteed in the Constitution of our land. But before we get too ecstatic about that decision, let's just keep in mind that abortion can still be done by the thousands in our land. It has not been outlawed by that decision. In fact, it has simply been turned over to others to decide to do. And I fear that even in our own state of Michigan, as in other states, if, if the petition drives or the ballot measures that are being advocated and being signed even today to add to our own constitution, that abortion will be even less restricted than it has been in our state as it is in many other states of our land. Yes, the influence of Christianity in the church upon our country has greatly declined in the last century, with fewer and fewer people going to church or professing any faith at all in God. And so what is the role of us as Christians in this country? Well, part of it is to oppose 
all forms of sin and evil, to speak and work against all those forces that want to undermine biblical morality and to make our leaders aware of what is right in God's sight and to hold them accountable for the decisions they make. That's the calling of the Christian and the church. Above all, of course, and I fully realize, most importantly, it is to preach the gospel of salvation, the central message of the scriptures. That's always been and always must be the chief task of the church of God, to proclaim that gospel so that sinners can be converted and their lives may be changed. But if you listen to the Old Testament prophets, they did not confine their messages to the salvation that God could bring but they also spoke God's words of rebuke on apostate Israel and Judah and the surrounding nations. Let's remember, our country can only be great when it honors the Lord as God. Otherwise, it ceases to be good. It will come indeed to stand most severely under the judgment of God. And it leads me to the third principle regarding the Christian in this country. And it is this, that as Christians, we must always then do our civic duty and exercise our responsibilities as Christian citizens. We should never say, well, I don't care what's happening in our country. I don't care what laws are passed. I don't care what happens. I don't care who gets into office. I'm not going to get involved in politics. I'm done with politics. No, no. We can never leave this country to the devil. That's not the way the Bible talks about how God's people should live and act in the nation to which they belong. Because the Bible indicates very clearly that we should always be interested in, always concerned about, always involved in our country and its political affairs. We are the citizens of a country. God has placed us here to be the salt and the light and in what ways, then, must we be an influence? What must we do? Well, the Bible mentions, of course, a number of ways. And I'm going to be very brief here. One is simply that we must always be praying for our country. How important that is. Always be praying for our country. First Timothy 2, Paul writes, I urge then, first of all, that requests, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for everyone, for kings and all those in authority. And then Paul, as you know, gives us the reason for that. He says that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. Paul lived in a time when the government was a dictatorship. The Roman emperors held unbridled power, and most of them were evil men. And yet Paul urged Christians to pray for them, for the good of God's people and for Christ's kingdom. And then another responsibility we have as Christian citizens, according to Scripture, is to respect, honor, and obey those in authority over us. And Paul reminds us of that in 1 Peter chapter 2. In these words, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men, whether to the king as the supreme authority, or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right, Show proper respect to everyone, love the brotherhood of believers, fear God, honor the king. Now, Peter wrote those words to persecuted Christians who had to suffer for their faith, who were under the authority of evil men, 
Yet they were to honor and respect those who were over them. The same still holds true today. It's hard, I know, sometimes to do that, to respect leaders who act unworthily and oppose God's will. And yet we have to respect their authority, even while we can also rightfully criticize them and their wrongdoings. And in a democracy like we have, we can also then seek to vote them out of office and elect others to serve us better according to God's will. But in all cases, we must honor those whom God has placed over us. There's only one instance, basically, generally speaking, when we do not need to follow the authorities in their decision-making, and that is if a specific law or decision would cause us to sin, cause us to disobey God, then indeed we have to make clear, no, we must always obey God first. God before men. We must honor our authorities then. And then also there is that civic duty, of course, to pay taxes, says the Bible. Jesus himself told us, pay taxes to whom taxes are due. Give to Caesar what is Caesar and to God what is God's. We may wish to give less to Caesar and more to God financially. We may think oftentimes taxes as a burden and we certainly deplore the wasteful, unnecessary, and even bad programs for which our government often uses our money. And yet, I think we all realize, too, without taxes, a country cannot operate and provide what is needed for our safety and good. And then, of course, there is our duty to vote and to keep well informed about the issues facing our nation. But now, lastly, congregation, and fourthly tonight, there is a final principle that we must remember as we again think about the Christian's relationship to his country. And it is this. We must always recognize that more important than our membership in an earthly nation is our membership in a spiritual kingdom. More crucial than our citizenship in the United States, Canada, any country, More important than that is our citizenship in the kingdom of God. As Paul stated to the Philippians, our citizenship is in heaven from where we await a Savior. And our text from Psalm 33 again says, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. And then it adds, the people whom he has chosen as his heritage. Now, who are those people whom God has chosen to make his own, to be the inheritors of his great salvation. There are those who, are, who love and those who trust him, who have, yes, who have believed in Christ, who have received his salvation. They, of course, have entered into a kingdom that is greater than any earthly kingdom or nation. And it is a kingdom that will last, that will endure forever. As much as we may appreciate our country and all that it offers us, This nation is only a temporal place, a temporal kingdom, if you will. The United States is, uh, I think by my calculation here, is, is 246 years old tomorrow. You know what? That's pretty young. You might think that's a lot of years. But there are many empires, many countries that have existed much longer in the course of history. But like all of them, Our nation as well, it will only endure for a time. 
They will all vanish, as all the nations of the earth will one day vanish. But one kingdom will remain, God's kingdom, God's nation, the heavenly country whose builder and maker is God. That kingdom will endure forever. Psalm 33, verses 13 to 15 says, The Lord looks down from heaven. He sees all the children of man. From where he sits enthroned, he looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. He who fashions the hearts of them all and observes all their deeds. You know, that's, God knows everything that's happening in this world. Among all the peoples, in all of the nations, he knows exactly what's happening. But he remains, it says here, in control of all of these events. And then the psalmist continues, he adds that earthly rulers cannot save us. They can't deliver us, not even with their largest armies or mightiest weapons. So we can never place our trust in them. What is our only hope and trust? Listen to the beautiful ending of the psalm, verses 20 and following. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For our heart is glad in him because we trust in his holy name. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us even as we hope in you. That's why our main desire and our chief blessing should always be to belong to and to give all of our devotion to God, our Lord Jehovah. Our real citizenship is in heaven, as Paul wrote in Philippians 3. And as we reside in this nation, yes, a good land that the Lord has given us in which to live and to serve him, let's keep in mind there is a better country than this nation that we're heading for. There is a kingdom that we already belong to today if we belong to Christ by faith and that's the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's have that vision as we live here that the patriarchs had, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, about whom we read in Hebrews 11, that they died in faith, not having received the land that was promised them here on earth, Canaan, though they lived here for a while and put up their tents for a while there, but they realized they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth, and their hope and their longing was for a better country and for a city whose builder and maker is God. May you and I have that same desire and longing for that better country where we can enjoy the blessings of our God forever. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we are grateful again that your word has reminded us how we as your children, Lord, so blessed by your grace, given the gift of your mercy and salvation, enabling us to be members of your kingdom, having received the gift of being the children of God, what that great heritage is, O Lord. We, we can't, O Lord, overvalue. And we thank you again, Lord, that we have received these blessings while we live also in this earthly country, in an earthly land which you have blessed in many ways and yet in which also evil abounds all around us. And we ask that you will help us, O Lord, to live here as your people with thankfulness for what you've given to us, also a sense of our duty to always live righteously and to speak out against that which is unrighteous and evil around us. And also, O Lord, to be faithful citizens of this land with all the duties that entails. Thank you, Lord, that we can belong to a kingdom that endures forever. And may that be our greatest desire, our greatest longing, our greatest joy and hope.
to live in that kingdom and to enjoy the blessings of that kingdom forever. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.